0: I'm Bryce Miller, and this is Talking Atlas. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Talking Atlas. We've got one more solo episode for you this week. Jacob ought to be back next week when he finishes up what he's currently busy with, which is a show. He and I both know that shows tend to be very all-consuming, so we try to help each other out when we can. And that's why I'm here. And I'm here to talk to you about Modern again. A few months ago, we had an episode called Modern Archetypes Part 1, where we discussed just that, decks that are played in Modern, popularly. We also discussed some modern metagame and format-defining cards. A quick review of the archetypes we discussed last time. First, there's Affinity, which is an artifact aggro deck. Floods the board very quickly. There was Fish, which is also an aggro deck, but it involves Merfolk, specifically merfolk lords that grant other merfolk plus one plus one as odd as a mono blue aggro deck is in concept it works because there are eight copies of the lords that you can play we discussed eldrazi which primarily is an aggro deck but takes other forms and we'll talk about a little bit of that today there's burn which uses efficient creatures and a heck of a lot of direct damage spells to hit your face and also the things you care about aka your creatures There's Storm, which is a combo deck that uses the mechanic, Storm. Storm says that you copy a spell with Storm for each spell cast before it that turn. The most common Storm win con is Grape Shot. It deals one damage to a creature or player, Storm. And finally, there's Scred Red, which is sort of a burn deck. It uses the card Scred that is red for an instant, and it deals damage to a creature equal to the number of snow permanents you control. The deck is... Mono-Red, as the name might imply, and it usually involves a mana base of entirely snowlands, like snow-covered mountains. And now, moving into today's topics, we are going to only be covering deck archetypes since we covered the metagame stuff last time. In no particular order, the decks we'll be talking about are OBZON, Scape Shift, Death's Shadow, Ad Nauseam, Elves-slash-Collected Company-slash-some-other-stuff, A Brief Historical Trip, and then Lantern Control. While I may have said no particular order, that is the order I will be discussing them in. This order is not very particular, except that I tried to vary it, so we're not discussing aggro, aggro, aggro deck, and then combo, combo, combo. There's a little bit of a variety throughout. So, starting at the top with Obzon. Obzon decks are very firmly what is termed a mid-range deck, and the name is fairly self-explanatory. An aggro deck tries to kill you really quickly, usually with small efficient creatures. Or, I guess, large efficient creatures, it depends on the deck. A control deck is playing to the long, long, long game. It is trying to stop your most powerful spells, trying to use fewer of its spells and less mana to deal with more of your spells that you spent more of your mana on. Mid-range decks fall somewhere in between. A staple of mid-range decks that also show up in a number of other archetypes are cards like Thoughtseize and Inquisition of Kozilek. These are cards that are usually one mana, let you look at an opponent's hand and force them to discard a card from it. I know we recently discussed Thoughtseize effects. I think we were talking about Duress being reprinted in Ixalon. In any case, those two cards that I'm referencing. One, there's Inquisition of Kozilek. It's black for a sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it with converted mana cost 3 or less. That player discards that card. And then, Thoughtseize. It is black for sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. You lose 2 life. These are far and away the two most common hand disruption spells that show up in Modern. I suppose occasionally you might see Duress, which forces your opponent to discard a non-creature, non-land card but these tend to be straight-up better. Thoughtseize is any non-land card at the cost of some lost life. Inquisition is converted mana cost three or less, which is really most cards in Modern. Very few decks prominently feature cards that have a higher CMC than that. There certainly are, don't get me wrong. But Inquisition of Kozilek will hit most cards and doesn't have a downside of life loss. I would venture to say that Inquisition of Kozilek is even more useful in an Obzon deck because, being very mid-rangey, the middle of the game is where you have the best board presence and therefore are best able to deal with the things your opponent has. My mid-range is hopefully just better than your mid-range. One of the big draws of Obzon is its fantastic suite of removal. Examples of Obzon removal include Fatal Push, Black for an instant, Destroy a target creature if its converted mana cost is 2 or less, and it has Revolt. Destroy that creature if it has a converted mana cost of 4 or less instead if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn. Fatal Push was printed in either Revolt, so very recently, and it's one of the more recent cards to shake up the modern metagame in a form. It was oft discussed that a lot of colors have efficient 1 mana removal, red has Modern defining card, Lightning Bolt. Red for an instant, that deals 3 damage to a creature or player. White has a card that is also in this deck, Path to Exile. White for an instant. Exile target creature. Its controller may search their library for a basic land card. Put that card onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle their library. Even green has awesome artifact and enchantment removal, like Nature's Claim, which is green for an instant. It destroys an artifact or enchantment, and its controller gains 4 life. And more recently, there's a card, Natural State. doesn't show up quite as often, but it's green for an instant. Destroy a target artifact or enchantment with converted mana cost 3 or less. Fatal Push was the first reasonably balanced, reasonably playable, black 1-drop piece of removal. And it's made even better by the fact that fetch lands are a staple in Modern. We talked about fetch lands some last time. Quick reminder, the fetch lands that I'm referring to are lands of the form of tap, pay 1 life, sacrifice them, search your library for a blank or blank, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle your library. The blank or the blank being two basic land types. For example, windswept heath is a fetch land that will search for a forest or a plains. The main draw of fetch lands is that you don't need to get a basic forest or plains, you can also get a typed duel, like the shock lands, which have two land subtypes and enter the battlefield tapped unless you pay two life. Having fetch lands, or indeed any land that sacrifices itself, is an excellent way to guarantee a revolt trigger in modern when you need it to kill something bigger than convert amount mana cost two. That's not to say that every deck with fatal push is going to rely on fetch lands, but many of them do. Other notable pieces of removal that show up in OBS on decks: there's abrupt decay. It's black green for an instant. It can't be countered by spells or abilities. Destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost 3 or less. As with Inquisition of Kozilek, Abrupt Decay kills most things. And being able to destroy a non-land permanent is crazy flexible. The last piece of removal I'll mention, which shows up in many decks besides Obzon, even in decks that don't have black, is Dismember. It's one Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black for an instant. Phyrexian Black can either be paid for with 2 life or a black mana. Target creature gets a minus five, minus five until end of turn. Dismember has been known to show up in decks like Merfolk as a piece of very powerful removal, so long as you're willing to pay a single generic mana and four life. Obzon decks often use the one planeswalker that is extraordinarily popular in modern, and that's Liliana of the Veil. Vale. It's one black black for a planeswalker Liliana. She enters the battlefield with three loyalty counters. Her plus one is that each player discards a card. Minus two, target player sacrifices a creature. Minus six, separate all permanents target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of their choice. Liliana the Veil is almost never used for her ult, because that's not often going to happen. She is, however, used for her removal, that she stays around after using, and for her symmetrical discard. That discard is even more useful. In a deck that cares about its graveyard, like Obzon often does. This is also true of Jund decks, usually. A couple reasons they care about their graveyard. One, Lingering Souls. Lingering Souls is a sorcery that can create two 1-1 white spirit creature tokens with flying, and it costs two and a white. However, it has a flashback cost of one and a black, so it's more efficient to cast it from your graveyard than from your hand. Consequently, it's not all that bad to discard. Another card that loves the graveyard is the ever-famous Tarmogoyf. It's one in a green for a star, star plus one, creature Lurgoyf. Its power is equal to the number of card types among all cards in all graveyards, and its toughness is equal to that, plus one. The card types are Creature, Artifact, Enchantment, Instant, Sorcery, Planeswalker, Land, and Tribal. Some Obzon and some Jund decks play cards with the mechanic Delve. Delve says that Each card you exile from your graveyard while casting the spell pays for one generic in its cost. A popular delve card is Tasigur, the Golden Fang. Five and a black with delve for a 4-5 legendary creature, Human Shaman. He has the activated ability of two hybrid hybrid. It's both blue-green hybrid. Put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, then return a non-land card of an opponent's choice from your graveyard to your hand. With delve, Tasker can be a very efficient creature coming out way earlier than he has right to, and then he grants you card advantage that fills your graveyard. A more recent addition to some Abzan and Jund decks is Grim Flayer from Eldritch Moon. It's black-green for a 2-2 creature-human warrior. Whenever Grim Flayer deals combat damage to a player, look at the top three cards of your library. Put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order. Delirium, Grimflayer gets plus two, plus two, as long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. You might have heard me complain about Grimflayer when we saw it spoiled in Eldritch Moon, because I looked at it and said, this is obviously a pushed card that they are trying to put into Modern, and I believe they succeeded. The final card that I will discuss in Obzon decks is the Scourge of Khans of Tarkir Standard, Siege Rhino. Siege Rhino is one white, black, green for a creature Rhino. It's a four, five with trample, and when it enters the battlefield, each opponent loses 3 life, and you gain 3 life. Much like Grim Flayer, it's pretty straightforward to see how Siege Rhino is just good. There's the common rule, usually used for limited called the vanilla test, and it's saying if a creature's power and toughness are equal to its mana cost, it's fine. A 4-4 four, four for 4, a 3-3 three, three for 3, a 2-2 two, two for 2. This is a 4-5 for 4. Alright, that's fine. It has a keyword. That's pretty good. Also, you guaranteed deal three and gain three. It's simple. It's not very exciting, which is why it was on my least favorite cards list for Cons of Tarkir. It's good. Okay, I spent way longer on Obzorn than I expected to, so let's move on to the next deck, Titan Shift or Scapeshift, Shift, depending on who you ask. The deck has morphed a little bit, which I think is why the change in name has happened. Titan Shift decks rely on a land called Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, as their primary kill condition. It's a land, it enters the battlefield tapped, it taps for red, and whenever a mountain enters the battlefield under your control, if you control at least 5 other mountains, you may have Valakut the Molten Pinnacle deal 3 damage to target creature or player, so it turns your mountains into lightning bolts. The primary quote-unquote combo card in this deck is the card Scape Shift. It's two green-green for a sorcery. Sacrifice any number of lands. Search your library for that many land cards. Put them onto the battlefield, tapped. then shuffle your library. Envision for me if you would. You have seven lands. You tap everything. You cast Scape Shift. You sacrifice all of your lands. You fetch Valakut and six mountains. Remember that Valakut says you must control at least five other mountains to trigger it. When Scapeshift Shift resolves, you will have had six mountains enter the battlefield with a Valakut all simultaneously. Since mountains enter the battlefield, Valakut will trigger. It will ask itself, are there at least five other mountains? The answer is yes. They all came in at once. That means that scapeshifting off of a Valakut will let you deal 18 damage. Potentially 18 damage right to someone's face. This being modern, people will often lose a little bit of life by the time you get to scapeshift. Whether it's from a fetch land, whether it's from a shock land, heck, Maybe you just hit them with Sakura Tribe Elder, which is 1 and a green for a 1-1 Creature Snake Shaman. You can sacrifice him to search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, and shuffle your library. Scapeshift decks play a couple of basic mountains, but also tend towards having some non-basic mountains, like Cinderglade, which is a land mountain forest. It enters the battlefield tapped, unless you control two or more basic lands. There's also Stomping Ground. It's a land of types Mountain Forest. As it enters the battlefield, you may pay two life. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped. The reason for the Titan shift in some names for this deck is the card Primeval Titan. It's four green green for a 6-6 creature giant. It has trample. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may search your library for up to two land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Besides this being a pretty efficient large creature that swings in, it can fetch you your Valakuts. It can fetch you your mountains. Other notable cards in this deck are Ramp Spells, because for one, if you have Valakut out, Ramp Spells will help you get it online sooner. And if you don't, Ramp Spells will help you reach the seven land critical mass that is needed to usually kill someone off of a scapeshift. I already described Sakura Tribe Elder. There's Farseek, which is one in a green for a sorcery. Search your library for a plains, island, swamp, or mountain card, and put it onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. There's search for tomorrow, tune a green for a sorcery, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, or it has suspend for green, which means rather than cast the card, you can exile it with two time counters if you pay green. At your upkeep, you remove a time counter. When the last time counter is removed, you cast it for free. Well, sort of free. You already paid a cost with a little bit of mana and time. Notably, the land does not enter tapped, So it's pretty efficient to have this turn 1 and get an extra land turn 3. A more recent addition to a few Titan Shift decks is the Planeswalker Chandra, Torch of Defiance. She's 2 red-red for a Planeswalker Chandra, enters the battlefield with 4 loyalty counters. She has 4 abilities. Her first plus 1 is Exile the top card of your library. You may cast that card. If you don't, Chandra Torch of Defiance deals 2 damage to each opponent. Plus 1, add red-red to your mana pool. Minus three, Chandra Torch of Defiance deals four damage to target creature. And minus seven, you get an emblem with, whenever you cast a spell, this emblem deals five damage to target creature or player. She provides card advantage. Cool. That card advantage can help damage your opponent and bring them in scapeshift range. Good. She ramps you. Cool. And she removes creatures. And I feel very sorry for your opponents if you ever manage to ult her. As we move on to our next deck, a small aside, you'll notice that I don't spend much time discussing sideboards in this segment. Part of that is because I am not a modern aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. I like modern. I enjoy following modern. I think that I can speak intelligently about what decks generally do, and I can certainly read you cards. But sideboarding is an art. Many would argue that sideboarding is the most important part of Modern because it's the margins. It's where you push ahead of a deck that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. It's how you more often can give yourself an edge. Moving on now to Death's Shadow. Death Shadow has become a recent sometime boogeyman of Modern because Death's Shadow decks in various color combinations are popping up all over the place. It seems like preliminarily, that it's not too oppressive. It's interesting, it's efficient, it's weird, but the metagame continues to shift, and Death Shadow doesn't seem to be an overwhelming percentage of the metagame. The eponymous card is black for a thirteen thirteen avatar. It gets minus x, minus x, where x is your life total. This puts us in a strange, strange situation where all the life lost from shocklands and fetchlands is actually what this deck wants to do with its time. Another notable source of life loss is Street Wraith. It's 3 black black for a 3-4 creature Wraith. It has Swamp Walk and Cycling for Pay to Life, a maniless cycling cost. You will almost never cast this. It smooths over your hands and helps your Death Shadows be bigger. Also, this card's application in Death Shadow decks is why it's currently something like a $7 or $8 common and uncommon originally. When Death Shadow shows up in Grixis, that's black, blue, red, it shares a decent number of characteristics with your usual Grixis control deck in modern. A headliner card of those decks is Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage is one in a blue for a 2 1 creature, human, wizard with flash. When it enters the battlefield, target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. It is a surprise creature, potentially a good blocker, and okay beater having two power. And most importantly, gets you a lot more oomph out of some of your spells. One of the most feel-bad things to hit off of a Snapcaster Mage is Kulagon's Command. It's one black-red for an instant. Choose two. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Target player discards a card. Destroy target artifact. Or Kulagon's Command deals two damage to target creature or player. When the modes for this card are chosen, it is likely to result in a two-for-one. They're going to spend this one card to destroy two of your permanents, or make you discard a card and destroy a thing, or return one of their own things and destroy a thing. Ah. In the brief time that I played Modern, this card was the worst, even more so when it was being cast for a second time via a Snapcaster Mage. To smooth over gameplay, Death Shadow decks will sometimes use a couple of cantrips, that is, efficient spells that do a thing and usually draw you a card, in the same way that you might see in a Delver deck. Two popular cantrips are, first, Serum Visions, blue for a sorcery, Draw a card, Scry 2. Ponder and Preordain are cards that are usually better, but are banned in Modern. There's also Thoughtscour. Blue for an instant. Tucker player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard, and then you draw a card. With Thought Scour, you always mill yourself. Because you are playing Snapcaster Mages, and you're often playing a couple of Delve creatures. I already told you about Tasker the Golden Fang in a previous deck. Another common Delve creature is Gurmag Angler, affectionately called Gurmangler. 6 in a black for a 5-5 zombie fish. It has delve, and that's all. It's a 5-5 for probably less than its printed cost of 7. Our next deck is a lovely combo deck by the name of Ad Nauseam. The titular card is 3 black black for an instant. Reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose life equal to its converted mana cost. You may repeat this process any number of times. Since modern mana curves are usually pretty low, it might be plain to see how this card on its own could be useful. You might get a lot of card advantage off of this in exchange for not a ton of life, but it is principally used in a fun combo. I mean fun. I like combos, so it's fun to me. Others may disagree. The combo often involves one of two other cards. One is the instant Angel's Grace. It's a single white mana. It has split second, which means as long as this spell is on the stack, Players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. Essentially, you can't respond, and it can't be countered. Angel's Grace says, you can't lose the game this turn, and your opponents can't win the game this turn. Until end of turn, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one, reduces it to one instead. The other card is an enchantment, Phyrexian Unlife. It's two and a white. You don't lose the game for having zero or less life. As long as you have zero or less life, all damage is dealt to you as though its source had Infect, which means you get poison counters instead of losing life. And if you have 10 or more poison counters, you lose the game. But if you think about the wording of Ad Nauseam, you don't need to worry much about poison counters. Ad Nauseam says you lose life. You're not paying life, because you're not allowed to pay life unless you actually have that life. So you can't be at negative 2 and then go to negative 4 so your Shockland enters untapped. However... You can lose life, so with either a Resolved Angel's Grace or a Phyrexian Unlife on the battlefield, you can more or less draw your deck. A common kill condition for ad nauseum decks is Lightning Storm. It's 1 red red for an instant. It deals X damage to target creature or player, where X is 3 plus the number of charge counters on it. Yes, it's an instant that uses charge counters. Its second half is, discard a land card. Put two charge counters on Lightning Storm. You may choose new targets for it. Any player may play this ability, but only if Lightning Storm is on the stack. I'm always amused to see cards that refer to the stack. Very few do. This does mean that your opponent can redirect it. But if you just drew your deck, you have all of your lands in your hand. So you can cast it. You can discard a land card to make it do two more damage and retarget it. This probably means that you will be discarding a lot of lands until you can guarantee your opponent will die from it, leading back a couple lands in your hand in case they have a lot to try to retarget it. To guarantee that you can cast Lightning Storm, the deck plays Simeon Spirit Guide. Simeon Spirit Guide is 2 and a red for a 2-2 Ape Spirit. You can exile it from your hand to add red to your mana pool. It's free mana! You may also see a small quantity of Ritual spells in an Ad nauseum deck. Probably one, because if you drew your deck, you drew the one copy you have. An example is Desperate Ritual. It's one in a red for an instant of subtype Arcane, and it adds red 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 to your mana pool. It also has splice onto Arcane, but I don't believe this ever matters for Ad nauseum decks, so I won't go into that now. With Simian Spirit Guides and this ritual, you can guarantee the mana to cast Lightning Storm. The deck plays some other forms of fast mana to try to get its combo off sooner. Simian Spirit Guide can be used to cast your Ad Nauseam. There's Lotus Bloom, which is an artifact with no mana cost, which means it cannot be cast by conventional means. It, however, does have Suspend 3 for 0. You can pay 0, exile it, and after 3 turns, you will have this card. And it's a Black Lotus. You can tap it and sacrifice it to add 3 mana of any 1 color to your mana pool. This next card, I don't know if you can call it Fast Mana, but it's mana. Pentad Prism. 2 mana for an artifact, it has sunburst, so it enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it for each color of mana used to pay its cost. Remove a charge counter from Pentad prism, add 1 mana of any color to your mana pool. It's reasonably efficient, using your turn 2 to effectively store 2 mana will mean that you can very likely go off turn 3 or 4. If we were to mentally goldfish this for a moment, let's say we had turn 1 nothing, turn 2 pentad prism we untap on turn three we play a land we already have access to five mana if we exile a simian spirit guide from our hand we could use a white mana maybe from the pentad prism to cast an angel's grace then we have our three lands our pentad prism mana that we haven't used and the simian spirit guide mana that's five we could cast an ad nauseum having already resolved the angel's grace at that point we'll win the game will be over Unless someone can counter the ad nauseum, In which case, you will have lost a lot of steam. So, against the control deck, that might not be what you immediately go for. Next up, we have elves. Which more so is going to be our introduction to Collected Company. Collected Company is three and a green for an instant. Look at the top six cards of your library. Put up to two creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. In this day and age, almost any green creature deck in modern uses collected company. It's so efficient. It's card advantage. It's card quality. You get to choose. In a deck like elves that plays a lot of small creatures, there's no reason not to run it. Now, this particular deck, as you may have guessed, runs off of some elf tribal synergies. In some ways, it's almost a combo deck due to an interaction between two cards, Nettle Sentinel and Heritage Druid. Nettle Sentinel is a 2-2 Elf Warrior for a single green mana. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step, but when you cast a green spell, you may untap Nettle Sentinel. In a mono-green deck, it's not a tall order to cast a green spell. Heritage Druid is a 1-1 Creature Elf Druid. You can tap three untapped Elves you control to add green, green, green to your mana pool. A lot of these Elves are one and two mana, And a lot of these elves also produce mana in some form. If you have out your Heritage Druid and, let's say, two Nettle Sentinels, I can tap all three of them to make green, green, green. I could then cast an elf, or with one more mana, a Collected Company. Casting that green spell untaps both of my Nettle Sentinels. If the thing I cast was a creature, or a thing that gets me a creature, like Collected Company or Court of Calling, which I'll read in a moment... We can tap the two Nettle Sentinels and one of those cards again and keep going. The Legacy version of this deck uses Glimpse of Nature, which is, it's banned in Modern. It's green for a sorcery. It says that for the rest of the turn, when you cast a creature spell, draw a card. The Legacy deck is even more of a combo deck because you resolve a Glimpse of Nature, and then you start digging through most of your deck with your Heritage Druids and your Nettle Sentinels to net you mana. As promised, Court of Calling is X green, green, green for an instant. It has Convoke, which means you may tap untapped creatures you control to pay for either a generic mana or a color of mana that that creature is. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Court of Calling showed up in a lot of Creature Matters decks prior to Coco, which is a nickname for Collected Company. It still obviously shows up now. Slightly different applications, still very good. Especially in this deck that has a lot of creatures. Especially in this deck where you can tap your Nettle Sentinels to cast this and it'll untap. Two notable ways in which a Collected Company Elf deck might kill you nowadays. One is Azuri Renegade Leader. He's 1 green green for a 2-2 Legendary Creature Elf Warrior. For green, you can regenerate another target elf. For 2 green green green, elf creatures you control get plus 3 plus 3 and gain Trample until end of turn. So with all that mana you are generating off of your heritage druids, you'll be able to activate the second ability, and so long as you've cast a spell to untap your nettle sentinels, you'll have more things untapped to swarm your opponents with. A more recent kill condition uses a combo enabled by a card in Amonkhet. That card is Vizier of Remedies. It's 1 and a white for a creature-human cleric. It's a 2-1. If one or more –1, –1 counters will be placed on a creature you control, that many minus 1, minus 1 counters, minus 1, are put on it instead. Minus 1, minus 1 counters, minus 1. That is a mouthful. I love it. It combos with Devoted Druid. It's 1 and a green for a zero two 2 Creature Elf Druid. It has tap, add green to your mana pool, and it has put a minus 1, minus 1 counter on Devoted Druid, untap it. The Vizier of Remedies does not prevent you from paying the cost for Devoted Druid, which means Devoted Druid still untaps but it doesn't get a minus one minus one counter. With these two cards, you will suddenly have infinite green mana, and that's pretty much guaranteed to kill someone if you can cocoa or cord into an Azuri to then hit them with. A big help to both the ramping and the elf mid-ranging is Elvish Archdruid. It's one green green for a creature elf druid. It's a 2-2, other elf creatures you control get plus one plus one, and it can tap to add green to your mana pool for each elf you control. A fun fact here, the most expensive card in this deck, if I'm not mistaken, is actually a land, Horizon Canopy, which is just about to be reprinted in Iconic Masters. It's a land, and It has tap, pay one life, add green or white to your mana pool, and it has one, sacrifice Horizon Canopy, draw a card. The white mana from Horizon Canopy is much more often used in sideboard cards that might come in, but even if those aren't in your deck, a land that can turn into a card when you don't need the land is pretty fine. There exists a variant of the Collected Company deck that goes much more all-in on the Vizier of Remini's Devoted Druid combo, along with some other fun stuff, but what I want to talk about is a trip down memory lane with my Lyra Pod. Birthing Pod was banned in Modern a couple of years ago at this point, but before it was banned, it was, maybe unsurprisingly, a very prominent deck, and it's really cool, so I'm going to talk about it even if it isn't as relevant anymore. The central card is 3 and a Phyrexian green for an artifact. Phyrexian green can be paid for with 2 life or 1 green mana. 1 and a Phyrexian green, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to 1 plus the sacrificed creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. As a deck, Birthing Pod is so weird. It's part combo. Part mid-range, part toolbox, and all of these are things that appeal to me. Its early turns are often spent ramping with Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise. Birds of Paradise is green for a creature bird. It has tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. It's a 0-1 flyer. Noble Hierarch is green for a 0-1 human druid. It has exalted, which means when a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And it has tap, add green, white, or blue to your mana pool. I don't think I've ever seen a Birthing Pod deck with blue spells, but a mana dork that taps for green and white is more the point here. Another commonly used piece of ramp is Wall of Roots. It's one and a green for a creature wall. It's a 0-5, and you can place a minus 0 minus 1 counter on Wall of Roots to add green to your mana pool. You can only do this once per turn. That was kind of nice because you could use Wall of Roots to get you one mana before you pot it, Even if you played it from your hand this turn, it doesn't need to tap to generate its mana. A unique element of a pod deck is an increased need to build a creature-converted mana cost curve. Usually, Modern wants to have a low curve, as we've discussed. And this deck isn't necessarily that different. But you need to think about the ratios of certain converted mana costs to other converted mana costs. How many 2-drops do I have? Do I have a lot? Do I have a lot because I have three drops that I want to pod into? What's at the top of my curve? Do I want some kind of big beater that helps close the game? Do I just stop at four? Do I stop at five? There are a lot of interesting questions that you must ask yourself. Running through a few cards that show up in the toolbox, one of the oddest in my books is Orzov Pontiff. One white-black for a 1-1 human cleric. It has Haunt. When this dies, you can exile it, haunting target creature. When Orzov Pontiff enters the battlefield... Or the creature it haunts dies. Choose one. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Or creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. Wonderful against tokens. We talked about Lingering Souls earlier. Gone. When you fear disruption, you could get a Sin Collector. It's one white-black for a creature-human cleric. A 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an instant or sorcery card from it and exile that card. For Artifact and Enchantment removal, there's Reclamation Sage. 2 in a green for a 2-1 Elf Shaman. When it enters the battlefield, you may destroy a target Artifact or Enchantment. For Recursion, there's Eternal Witness, which is 1 green green for a 2-1 Human Shaman. When it enters the battlefield, you may return target card from your graveyard to your hand. And finally, for Graveyard Hate, we've got Scavenging Ooze. 1 in a green for a 2-2 Creature Ooze. Green, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, put a one plus one plus counter on Scavenging Ooze and you gain 1 life. Every card I just listed off, and some others that I didn't, show up as one-ofs in a Birthing Pod deck, because you don't need to draw them usually. You actually don't want to draw them. You want them to be in your deck, and if you need them, you can fetch them. This let Birthing Pod decks do the kind of thing that would normally only be doable via sideboarding, situational responses. The deck can win with some good old-fashioned mid-ranging. It does play Siege Rhino that we talked about earlier. It has Restoration Angel, 3 and a white for a creature angel, it's a 3-4 with flash and flying. When it enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-angel creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. It can re-trigger your enter-the-battlefield effects, like Siege Rhino. It can help save a creature from removal. It's very flexible. Probably the most common win condition in a lot of these pod decks, and the reason it's referred to as Mylira Pod, is Mylira Silvok Outcast. Mylira is one in a green for a legendary creature, Human Scout. You can't get poison counters. Creatures you control can't have minus one minus one counters placed on them. Creatures your opponents control lose infect. With Mylira out, your creatures won't have minus one minus one counters placed on them. And that matters if they have Persist. Persist says, if this creature dies and it did not have a minus one minus one counter on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a minus one minus one counter. If Pod were suddenly unbanned, you could presumably also use Zero of Remedies in this deck, but there are certain rules interactiony reasons that my doesn't allow Devoted Druid to generate infinite mana because she says no. It's not that the minus one minus one counters you place get reduced; you can't place them, so you're not even allowed to do the thing that untaps Devoted Druid. Another one of in the Birthing Pod deck is Murderous Redcap. It's two black red black red. That's hybrid for a two two Goblin Assassin. When it enters the battlefield it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. If you have out Mylera and a sacrifice outlet like, say, Viserysir, which is black for a creature, it's a 1-1, sacrifice a creature to scry 1, you can deal infinite damage to a player. Or if you use the creature Kitchen Finks, that has Persist and gains 2 life when it enters, you'll gain infinite life, which won't stop all decks, but will stop most decks. The final deck I will discuss today is Lantern Control, which I think is hilarious so long as I don't need to play against it. Lantern Control is a great example of a deck where the components of it existed. It wasn't as though there's a new card printed that people immediately said, hey, this thing can be a deck now. Someone figured out that this deck could exist. The central card is Lantern of Insight. It's one for an artifact. Each player plays the top card of their library revealed. Tap Sacrifice Lantern of Insight, target player shuffles their library. The ability to see what your opponents have on top of their library is pretty powerful, so long as you have cards that can do something about it. Cards like Codex Shredder. It's one mana for an artifact. Tap, target player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. And it has five tap, sacrifice Codex Shredder, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Other cards that deal with the tops of library. Ghoulcaller's Bell, one for an artifact. Tap, each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. And there's Pixis of Pandemonium. One mana for an artifact with tap, Each player exiles the top card of their library face down, and you can pay 7 and tap it to go turn face up all the cards and then put all permanents onto the battlefield, but you're not doing that. You're just doing this to exile cards from their library. So what you have here is a bizarre, bizarre control deck that does minimal to no countering of cards, might do some thought seizing, some Inquisition of Kozilek to get rid of things from your hand, but primarily... It's looking at what you're going to draw and ensuring that you draw nothing of value. I personally find this fascinating. And with all that together, we have one very tired Bryce, but one very thorough sequel to our Modern Archetypes series. I'm sure Jacob and I can fit one or two more installments in this series over time. As new archetypes develop, there are still plenty we haven't talked about, and maybe we'll even delve into, huh, delve, a little bit more history. If you would care to get in touch with me, you can find me on Tumblr as WalkingAtlas or on Twitter as Atlas. You can contact Jacob anywhere you find the name Frogger, that's P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R, on Twitter, on Tumblr, and probably as a one-of in a Birthing Pod deck. Feel free to email us at info at opalnebula.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, and our website opalnebula.com. We have a couple of exciting things in the pipes. I'll keep you folks updated about that. It will be public before too long. And finally, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingatlas. Thank you all for joining us on this rare foray into modern, and until next time, happy planeswalking.